Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. You know, when making business, investment, and real estate decisions, it's important to consider the trends and the future of jobs, spending, migration, and other key demographic factors. Well, today, we'll look into these trends and how you can use this knowledge to power your business and your real estate decisions. Please welcome my first guest, Dr. Ray Tordo. He's Global Chairman of Research at CBRE, or former Global Chief Economist. He's now a lecturer at Harvard. Ray, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you, Michael. It's, it's great to be here. I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to our discussion. Well, I appreciate you joining us on the phone there from Marblehead. You're uh, north of Boston, so you're right on the harbor, right? I am on the harbor, so if we hear a little noise of horns or boats or motors, I, I apologize in advance. Ah, it'll make it more exciting. <laughs> well, to get us started here, you know, I think uh, it's really important to consider migration and jobs and kind of the spending habits of, of the demographics around the U.S. when you're making these decisions, isn't it? Well, it really is. And I am, um, when I talk uh, in my class or when I'm giving a lecture uh, for uh, front of associations or groups, I, I often talk about the fact that uh, commercial real estate is the economy in a box. Uh, so everything that happens to the economy happens to commercial real estate, and except we do commercial real estate in a box, right? We, we make things in manufacturing boxes. We distribute them in distribution boxes. We, uh, you know, we sell them in retail boxes. Um, we count the money in, in office boxes, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, how, how the economy goes has a big effect on real estate. And, you know, what we're going to talk about a little bit today, demographics, is a, a very important part of that, particularly in terms of the long-term trends, as opposed to what I would call the cyclical trends, you know, the up and down of the economy. Uh, but long-term, you know, what drives the demand for real estate is, is people and, uh, you know, the jobs they have, the incomes they're making, and the preferences they have for where they want to live and where they want to work. Right. And you look at the baby boomers, we all know that, you know, they've been a big factor in the business and industry and real estate. And now we have the millennials. If you will, describe a little bit the, these different groups for us, if you will. Yes. Well, uh, millennials uh, is the young guys, as I kind of been, been sort of a, in the boomer category uh, myself. But millennials are generally people that are born after 1980. And I, I should mention, Michael, that there is no firm definition of millennials, boomers, Gen X, uh, you know, silent generation. Everybody sort of has a little different variation of the definition. Uh, so um, it, it's a little bit loose. Uh, but generally speaking, the millennials are a cohort that are in the age group of somewhere between 18 and 33. Um, you know, they were born after 1980. The boomers themselves, uh, which is the other large cohort, uh, was born from 1946 to 1964. Um, and the reason millennials are important is that uh, they are the largest group of demographics, or the largest cohort right now. They're even bigger than the boomers. And uh, you and I have been following commercial real estate for a long time, and we know how the boomers have affected commercial real estate demand and created long-term profits or uh, demises for people's fortunes. Um, and so I think real estate investors developers, uh, transaction people have to keep an eye on what the millennials are doing. Um, I, I should also mention to you that uh, the millennials are really the best educated cohort of uh, young adults that we've ever had in our history. Uh, 
They're also sometimes referred to as digital natives uh, because they are so savvy with technology. Um, and let me ask you, Michael, have you ever done a selfie? <laughs> I have to admit I have, but it was with my daughter. So, <laughs> <laughs> so she was the instigation, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I was reading a little bit about millennials, and, I, and I, one of the authors said that, uh, you know, they have 55% of them have done selfies. Mm-hmm. And I had a laugh at that and sort of said to myself, well, I've never done a selfie, <laughs> even though I do have a millennial living in my home. Uh, so, so they're quite, you know, they're, they're, they're digital natives is one thing. They're, they're very extensive use of uh, Snapchat and Snapchat, chat, right? That's the term. And, mm-hmm. and Facebook. Um, and, uh, you know, they're also, um, you know, very slow at Marion. Um, compared to earlier generations in our society, um, they really are, have a very low marriage rate, uh, around 26%. Whereas if um, we go way back to the 1960s, generally speaking, young people were married. Uh, you know, 65% of young people were married um, back then. So, so they're really a very different group of people. Um, and they're not, you know, they have, um, they're very racially diverse. They're, very, they're the best educated cohort. Uh, they're tech savvy. Uh, and all of these things are just a description of who they are. Um, however, the real real important thing is is um, is what do they mean for real estate in terms of where real estate should be built uh, developed uh, bought and sold and so on and the way way I kind of look at it um, Michael is that um, you know research has shown that jobs follow people um, so it what happens in, in a society or an economy is uh, people decide where they want to live and then firms in retail space and so on develop around that. And what happened in the 1950s and 60s is the baby boomers and the silent generation decided they wanted to live in suburbs. Uh, and suburbs developed for a lot of reasons that we probably don't have time to go into, but, but they developed, and part of the reason was that's where people wanted to live. <clears throat> and, um, of course, uh, that led to the development of housing and firms being in the suburbs and highways being built around cities and you're probably not old enough to remember but there was a time where everyone in this country everybody thought cities were dead uh, that they would never recover um, so uh, this had a very dramatic effect on commercial real estate so what's starting to happen with the millennials uh, is that this is a cohort that is saying well you know we don't like all of that commuting We'd like to be in a walking area. We like to live uh, in cities, and not just cities, but in densely populated urban areas. Uh, and we want to have environments which are what we call uh, live, work, play. Uh, so all three things can be done in proximity. Um, and this is having a pretty significant effect on where residential developments are being built. Uh, and the success of those developments, and it had a, having some change in the structure of our uh, downtown and suburban uh, communities. And so, you believe that this one is going to create more demand or continued demand for for more urban housing uh, and help the central business districts uh, as far as the office market goes. 
I think it is. In fact, I mean, I can cite examples of this happening uh, in a lot of our major cities, from San Francisco to Atlanta to, um, you know, um, New York City uh, to places here in Boston, which I'm, I'm very familiar with. Um, and, and what's happened, um, just to use Boston as an example, uh, if you think about housing and the value of housing based on its price, the price of housing in the Boston area uh, reached a peak in 2006, before the Great Recession, and then everything sort of went down 20, 30 percent. The recovery uh, to date has been in the city of Boston and the urban areas around Boston, Cambridge and Somerville and places like that, if you're familiar with Boston. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because this generation is wanting to live in in the inner city. They want to live closer to work, and they also are looking to live closer to work uh, and also to places they play, where they go out to dinner or they go to theater or they go to improv or whatever else. Uh, so it, it's a combination of live, work, play. And, um, and what we've seen in real estate is that it's not only just a urban suburban issue but um, I often tell the story uh, if we got time Michael um, about what's happening right in the middle of the city of Boston where things are changing for example um, in the city of Boston the, the center of the city of Boston for the last 350 years has been at the intersection of two roads called Congress and State and the reason I say it's the center it's it's where all where business was begun back 350 years ago it's where it's always been for 350 years, uh, but that's starting to change, uh, where uh, that area is considered to be one-dimensional. That is, it's just business. It doesn't have a, a good living environment. It doesn't have a good social environment. And because of that, uh, other areas of the city are sprouting up and, and doing very well in terms of their commercial real estate uh, investments. All right, we're going to take a short break here. We're talking to Dr. Ray Tordo about how demographics are affecting real estate. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. Today we're talking about demographics impact on business and real estate decisions. And uh, my guest is Dr. Ray Tordo. He's the former global chief economist with CBRE. And uh, Ray, you talked about the millennials uh, getting married later and some of the changes in their lifestyle. Some people are wondering if this apartment market could get overheated. Uh, you know, the apartment industry is doing extremely well. Uh, some cities are having uh, record amounts of, of new construction. What do you think this uh, demographic impact of the millennials will have on apartments and how long is this great market going to last? <laughs> Those are easy questions, Michael. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, well, let's, let's start with sort of um, where the demand for apartments is coming from. And, and I would say that the construction we're seeing, particularly in cities, um, is, is being driven by the millennials' desire to live, work, and play uh, in urban areas. Um, and so that, that's a real trend. And 
those of us who look at demographics think that trend is going to continue at least through 2020, 2021. So when you ask the question, well, are we overbuilding right now uh, apartments in some of these cities, uh, my answer to that is I do not think so. I think we're building a little bit more than we need, so I expect to see in 2015 the vacancy rates in a number of these cities to rise by 50 to 100 basis points. But to me, that's not uh, overbuilding. Um, I mean, right now, if I remember correctly, the national vacancy rate for apartments is sub-5%, and that's a pretty tight market. It's really the tightest market they've had uh, in my memory. Um, so, and then, But coming back to the, the millennials and the apartment market, I mean, what, what's happening here um, in, in particular is that uh, You've you got to be thinking, if you're building or buying an apartment building, will it be uh, competitive five, ten years from now? Right. Let me give you what I mean by that. Um, what's starting to change, for example, is that the requirements for an apartment building is that uh, do you have an electric charging station <laughs> in your parking garage? Um, imagine if you're in a city, you own an old-style apartment building, and you're competing with newer buildings which do have electric charging stations. I mean, where's the tenant going to go, right? Especially if they have an electric charging car. Other things you've got to think about in terms of how technology is disrupting, as well as millennials are disrupting things. And, and again, as I said about millennials, they're very they're digital natives, right? They're very much into, into the modern way of living. So, uh, you know, do you have storage, uh, not only storage, but uh, refrigerated storage? or uh, groceries being delivered during the day while people are at work. Um, and, you know, that, that's just a small consideration that's going to be built into the plans of what you're building. And so a lot of these newer apartment buildings are on the cusp of this modern technology. And so it's not just that they're building newer ones and looking at it, it's more supply, but it's a different kind of supply. It's, it's, a, it's a supply that's anticipating the the needs of, of the uh, of the millennials. Yeah, and that's those those are good points. And while I while I have you on the phone, I want to ask your opinion on the demographics impact on the office market. I mean, here you are. You're working today. You're working from home, uh, and you know there's a lot of of companies that are reducing their expenses and and cramming a lot more people in, in larger and smaller spaces. What do you think about uh, demographics impact on the office market? Well, we're also seeing a very big impact in this sense, uh, that jobs follow people. So if these digital natives who are going to be very important to the, the innovation economy of the future, uh, where new ideas are a very important part of economic growth, uh, you want to be in a place where you can attract that labor. You not only want to attract them or bring them into your firms, but you also want to be able to retain them. And uh, if you're out on a highway somewhere in the suburbs and all the digital natives or the millennials are saying I want to live in the urban area where I have a live work play environment you're going to find it very difficult to attract uh, that engineer that software des- designer that intellectual professional uh, and retain them because uh, they're going to want to work in, in another location so so that's why we're starting to see firms follow these people and then what they're doing is they're creating office space which uh, is much more open than the traditional ones that you and I may be familiar with. That, you know, 
No longer is there the corner office. It's, it's uh, more open space, innovative space. Uh, there's a lot of things in the traditional office that have gone by the wayside. Uh, things like telephones. Uh, everybody's got their own cell phone or mobile phone. Uh, things like uh, desktop computers. Everybody's got laptop computers. I teach a class, and uh, I put up a list of things that were in the old office buildings and offices of the past, and one of the things I put on the list was a Rolodex. <laughs> and a student raised his hand, these are 29, 30-year-old students, and he raised his hand, what's a Rolodex? That's you know? Rolodex. <laughs> I remember, remember typewriters, too. <laughs> oh, I, before my time. I, <laughs> I was in a store in my, with my daughter and son, this old uh, antique store, and there was some typewriters sitting there, and my son actually looked at, at them and asked me what they were. <laughs> Doesn't that date you, huh? Yeah. I said, well, look over there. That's called a record player over there, too. Yeah, yeah. So, so they're, they're having a big effect on, on real estate in a lot of ways that are, that are very subtle. Um, and, um, you know, one other thing, too, that we talk millennials, but the other thing that's happening because of these changes and because of demographics is how the boomers are affecting the apartment market, um, not the office market so much, but... What I mean by this is that in the 50s and 60s, the older generation moved out to the suburbs. They bought the four-bedroom house, and it's two or three stories. And they're getting a little in their 60s, and they're saying, you know, we need one-floor living. We don't want to be going up and down stairs. And they're looking into the cities, which are becoming more vibrant because of what the millennials are doing. And they're saying, gee, it'd be nice to have a condo in the city and have one-floor living. And you know, be able to walk outside and get groceries and go to, you know, uh, entertainment events and so on. And so that, that's another part of what's driving the economic growth of cities right now. It's not just millennials, but there's another generation looking at this and saying, you know, for my own reasons, you know, I'm looking to be in an urban area and I'm looking for one floor um, living. I, uh, I was driving around uh, the Boston area with an uh, investor just a couple months ago, and we were looking for buying a large, uh, what you would call a, a garden variety uh, apartment uh, complex. And um, we drove into one place, and we drove in. As we noticed right away they were building two-floor condominiums. We just turned around and left. We didn't even, didn't even <laughs> sit down with the broker. Didn't want to. Didn't even want to think about it. Um, and uh, I think, uh, you know, this is a very competitive world, so you have to be thinking about how uh, demographics and technology are changing the, the nature of real estate. And as you said before, you know, all law firms are using less space. Um, um, all, you know, a lot, of, a lot of real estate folks, a lot of firms are using less space. And so... Uh, this has this is having a big effect on office space as well as residential. Yeah, it certainly is. And then I look back uh, now. I think you know, in my future, I'll probably have an apartment uh, in the city. And uh, you know, years ago, that just almost wasn't heard of. Well, Dr. Ray Tordo, thanks for joining us today. We sure appreciate uh, your insight and wisdom. Thank you, Michael. Fun talking with you. Great. Good, good day. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. And uh, we're going to take a short break here. We'll stay tuned. We'll have more on the demographic impact on business and real estate decisions. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Florida International University. With FIU's Fast Track system, you can earn your master's in real estate in just 10 months without interrupting your career. 
Visit FIUonline.com to learn more. That's FIUonline.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show, where today we're discussing how the changing landscape of spending, employment, and lifestyles impact business and real estate. We'll also share some tips and sources to help you make more informed decisions. Please welcome my next guest. It's Gary Ralston. Gary is the second most accredited commercial real estate professional in the U.S., including designations like SOR, uh, CRE, and CPM. Gary is also a senior instructor for the CCIM Institute. Gary, thanks for being on the show with us today. Well, it's a pleasure, uh, Michael. I'm uh, honored to be a participant and I have a passion for commercial real estate, so uh, being able to speak about it is a pleasure. Well, thank you for joining us. And, uh, you know, certainly demographic and employment and spending and migration uh, trends can be used to, to make better decisions uh, related to site selection and, and all types of real estate decisions. So, Gary, let's say that an investor is looking to, to buy an office building. What are some methods and sources to consider future demand trends for a certain building and location? Uh, Michael, there's a high correlation between employment and the demand for office space. Uh, in fact, there are a couple of models that have been developed by um, real estate analysts in, in various parts of the of the country. We use one of one of those in the CCIM market analysis class to actually disaggregate employment by industrial classification or uh, NAICS code, North American Industrial Classification System, um, into the percentage of those employees that are using offices and so that allows us to estimate uh, the number of office employees in a defined geography if we know how many office employees there are we can translate that directly into office demand um, the industry uses a ratio of about 250 square feet per person there are some researchers who say that over time because of um, spatial mismatch and uh, companies expanding, contracting, and so forth. The reality is probably closer to 300 square feet. That also would take into account a reasonable uh, long-term vacancy allowance. So bottom line, if you can figure out how many office employees there are um, and multiply that by 300, you'd know how much office space you need as a general top-line statement. Right, and you can also tell what types of industries are growing in a certain uh, regional area, right? Uh, that's true. Uh, one of the tools that uh, we use um, is uh, called ship share analysis. And um, th there's a, actually a website that uh, the University of Georgia publishes. We're working on creating something similar as a published uh, web link for uh, CCIM. But it allows you to look at changes in employment uh, over a defined period of time. Typically, you look at the last uh, two or three years, as the case may be. And um, uh, the major industrial classifications, the process um, takes that change in the number of jobs by industrial classification and compares it really in uh, three different ways. One way says how much would employment have changed if um, it matched the general growth of the United States, kind of the you know rising tide floats all boats. Um, 
The second uh, asks um, how much it would have changed in employment in that industrial classification if the local economy performed exactly lockstep with the national economy in that industrial classification. And the third and final step is called um, a kind of regional impact. But what it really does is it isolates the number of uh, jobs, the changes by industrial classification um, that is um, in the local economy where it performed differently than the nation and differently than people in that same uh, job, if you will, uh, around the country. Um, and so that allows you to kind of circle and isolate something and say, what is that going to do for the future? Could we expect it to uh, continue on this positive trend? If maybe there's a meaningful decline, it allows you to ask some specific local questions. Is that attributable to a specific industry that closed? And, and you know, what's the future impact of that going to be? Will someone backfill? So those are really good tools to help you understand um, the market. Uh, those analyses are, are done, uh, the smallest unit of geography for which you can do that kind of analysis is really a county. Uh, you can do it by county or by um, a metropolitan um, a statistical area, which could be one or more counties. It's a good way to, to isolate which industries you'd want to focus on, which industries maybe are deteriorating, and you might want to uh, avoid. So it helps in picking uh, targets for office users. Yeah, and that's very important because real estate, when it comes down to it, is local. And uh, so those analysis can be very important. We're going to take a short break here. We'll be, have, we'll be right back with Gary Ralston. We'll talk some more. Next, we'll talk about retail and how to do some site analysis. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com or call 404-832-8262. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. We have Gary Ralston on the phone with us, and we're talking about demographics and their impact on business decisions and on real estate. And, uh, and Gary, let's talk about retail site selection, whether you're a retailer or, or you're investing in a business uh, the right location is key, and, and retailers are being much more careful about where they place their business. Now, no longer are they thinking, well, the rooftops are just going to come. What are some tips and some sources uh, for, for looking at uh, the, the spending habits and best location for a particular retail business? Uh, Michael, that's a, a great question. Uh, most retail chains today that have more than 50 stores or so use a um, rather complex uh, system called an analog fit model where they uh, take the existing stores and they extract certain demographic information about those stores and then they apply those as standards to a potential uh, new store location. And the more stores they have, that gives them the larger data points, the more accurate they are. The problem for those of us on the other side of the table, the landlords and service providers, 
is we don't know the exact sales of all the existing stores of a retailer. So we have to do a little reverse engineering. Um, and and that, that's really the key to success in retail real estate. Um, the first step in that reverse engineering starts at understanding the geography. So we look at uh, a market area and then a trade area as uh, something that we try to extract demographic information about to prescribe a location for a retailer. The, the market area is um, often something that could be as much as five or maybe ten miles, or if there's a lot of density, maybe just a few miles. It typically is a commercial corridor, and it connects two other uh, commercial corridors, and you would tend to isolate that using traffic counts. Uh, as an example, there's a project we're working on now here in Florida that the market area is six miles. It's a, um, a east-west connector between two north-south U.S. highways. Um, and we break it down into trade areas by looking for repetitive occurrences of major retail chains. In this particular case, how many Walmarts are there and how many grocery stores are there? Well, there happen to be two Walmarts and two public supermarkets in this six-mile stretch. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say you clearly have two trade areas. That allows us to then isolate that smaller area, which is about three miles, and look for retailers that are missing, that you know might even be in the other trade area, or have uh, locations that that are in the perhaps larger geography but are not represented in that particular trade area. And we can then look at the number of people that live in that trade area, and there's a, a very sophisticated computer program done by um, ES ESRI and that the CCIMs have modified that generates a report which shows allocations of disposable income for the people in this defined trade area, this geography, and so we can see how much they'd spend at a drugstore, how much they'd spend at a grocery store, how much they'd spend for hair products. So it, it gives us the ability to reverse engineer and make really good decisions about retail tenants and locations. Yeah, and that's important. I mean, these retail gap analysis can really be useful. And if uh, and if you need something like that, look for CCIMs around the country that that know how to do this and have access to these tools. And you now, what are some other tips for finding the location? Like you mentioned, um, six mile radius and that type of thing. But a lot of times, you're using drive time in retail, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. We, that's an excellent point. The, in, in the old days, everyone worked on radiuses. Uh, we think about distance duration for defining the boundaries of the retail trade area. But when we extract demographic information, we rely very heavily on drive times. And uh, computer programs today make that pretty simple. Often, out of the box, we look at a one, two, three-mile radius and then a five-minute and ten-minute drive time. And we compare that information about the, the demographics of, of, um, of those geographies to increasingly larger units of formal geography. So we might then use the county, the state, and the United States. And that's a wonderful way to um, ascertain gaps and opportunities to the extent there is a... Um, higher concentration of uh, population under four years of age in the 
a, a trade area that you've defined compared to the state and the country, you know, that child care and child products are going to be very popular there. And the retailers that, that focus on that sector would be successful. And how can you tell, Gary, how many of the, the shoppers in a certain area are in that area and how many are coming from outside the area? And we're short on the break, but you got a tip there? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, that's a leakage uh, gap analysis. Um, displaced sales is what it's called. And it's really reliant upon certain large generators. You'd have to make an adjustment if there's a big employer or a big draw like a regional mall. That's right, because you might have an outlet mall or, or you might have a vacation area where a lot of vacationers are, right? Well, that, that, uh, that's true. We, we've done some work uh, since we're close to Disney, uh, which takes into account geographies where very few people live there, but there are a lot of tourists and um, visitors with second homes, et cetera, that, that are uh, wonderful spenders, so to speak. <laughs> so um, the ratio we use to adjust for that is household and housing units. Yeah, the country is about 12%. Uh, some of those geographies you have to adjust for. Yeah, I know. I know my, my wife and child, <laughs> my daughter, spend a lot when they're down there. Stay tuned. We'll have more from Gary Ralston about the factors of demographics on real estate decisions and business decisions. We'll be right back. Does your company provide professional services to the commercial real estate industry? The Commercial Real Estate Show is an excellent way to reach your target audience. For advertising options, visit CommercialRealEstateShow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. We're talking about demographics and their impact on business and commercial real estate decisions. We have Gary Ralston on the phone with us, and he's a senior CCIM instructor, among other things. And, and Gary, what are some of the shifts in demographics that, that might impact commercial real estate moving forward? Uh, Michael, we, we often say that real estate is space for people. It's space for people to live in, work in, shop in, store things in. So in the very simplest terms, when you analyze demand, it's just people. How many people are there? Um, and, it, and there are some shifts going on in the country uh, which have been happening for a decade or two that are intensifying. For example, uh, we think about it nationally as the big three, uh, California, Texas, and Florida. Um, about 27% of the population in the United States is concentrated in those three states. But those three states over the last three years since the 2010 census account for about 45% of the growth in the United States. Wow. And that's really a good thing. More people creates more demand for real estate. The other part of that is jobs. Uh, people tend to follow jobs. And so if we mirror the same thing with, you know, job creation, the last uh, uh, two years in jobs, the kind of 2012 through 2014 numbers, the United States created about 4.9 million jobs. So we're, you know, we're back to now peak employment in the country, non-farm employments, uh, you know, a little north of 139 million. But if we look at these three states, uh, the three states, California, Texas, and Florida, account for about 25% of the total jobs, but 40% of the growth. 
So 40% of the change in jobs over the last couple of years are these three states. It's where people are moving, and that's um, really good. It's, it's good if you're there. It's not so good if you're in maybe Detroit or New York. Yeah, Florida, in fact, is, um, by some demographers' estimates, actually passing New York and will now be the third most populous state with about 19.7 million people. So it's nice to be in Florida where the sun shines. <laughs> it's nice to be in Texas where they're just printing jobs. That's right. Well, in closing our show today, what is a tip that you could leave our listeners with uh, related to using uh, demographics and, and some of the trends with employment and, and shopping uh, to help them make better real estate decisions? There are really two publicly available sites, which are the source for data, uh, the basis for the comments that I made today. The uh, Census Bureau um, has a subset called uh, Quick Facts, which allows you to extract demographic data for states, uh, for counties, and for cities. And looking at how your city compares or county the counties are really the most consistent unit of formal geography how it compares to the state and the united states will help you to make better decisions about what's going on the bureau of labor statistics economy at a glance gives you the same information jobs disaggregated by um, naics code uh, super sector uh, down to the county level and those are some great sources, and we'll put those sources on the website here so that you can grab them. And, Gary, uh, Ralston, really appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks uh, for your insight. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to always interact with a fellow CCIM, Michael, so thank you very much. Well, thank you, sir. And if you'd like more information from Gary, his website is SRD commercial.com that's srdcommercial.com and thanks for being with us this week be sure and join us next week we'll have brian bailey with the fed and we'll get the fed's view on commercial real estate and be sure not to miss a show of special interest to you sign up for a once a week email announcing the show topic at commercialrealestateshow.com we have some great shows coming up that we will share the trends and the future of all the different commercial real estate sectors so thanks for joining us until next week be sure that you always lead learn and laugh and join us for the commercial real estate show The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Florida International University. Earn your commercial real estate master's degree in as little as 10 months. Visit FIUonline.com. And Bull Realty Commercial Brokers, a great place to do business. Visit BullRealty.com. And France Media Publications and Conferences. For exposure to the world of commercial real estate, visit FranceMediaInc.com.